11 minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And this evening, help, helping me to take a look at some of these stories is portfolio manager and analyst at uh, APSA Asset Management, Roy Motoni. Roy, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Roy. Uh, Roy, let's maybe start off in the U.S. and uh, we'll come back to some of the other stories of interest here back home. Uh, but I always find it interesting when, uh, you know, the jobless numbers come out of uh, uh, the U.S. We're also expecting some employment data. Uh, to come out uh, tomorrow as well. And uh, because all, all of these often, I guess, give us some signals about uh, what stimulus is going to look like there and uh, the implication that is going to have uh, for capital markets and for many a household, the cost at which they borrow. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think it's just phenomenal the job-creating potential that the economy has. Mm. I mean, creating a million jobs in a month is just something that we only dream of. Um, and, and I think what you've seen more recently and in the statistics um, of jobless claims is they've dropped for five consecutive months. So I think this, this, this is a direct result of a number of things. First of all, the aggressiveness within, with which they've gone through their vaccination rollout. Mm. Um, also, the absolute aggressiveness, aggression with which they went out to pay people not to work when they needed to social distance, and companies to keep people off payroll um, while, when they couldn't have business. So, so the vaccination comes, the economy can reopen, the businesses have not collapsed because of debts or an inability to raise revenue, and the employees have not gone broke from sitting at home. So, so it's, it's, it's a very well-integrated process that has worked out, and it looks like it's bearing fruit now. Jobless claims are declining, um, companies are reopening, the society is reopening, mm. the need for masks is declining. Um, yeah, it's just an indication of a solid plan that's come to pass. It's, it's interesting, Roy, I mean, when you look at it in that way, uh, because mm. I, I'm often interested not only just, I guess, in what's happening in the financial markets and what pictures mm-hmm. we can get there, but when you see uh, an economy being able to make about a million jobs uh, in such a short period of time. What does that tell mm-hmm. us about the real economy? What does that tell us about global supply chains that many of the American industries are linked, uh, you know, and connected into? Um, and the recovery mm-hmm. or, I guess, the resurgence of some of those chains? Because we knew, I mean, at the start of this mm-hmm. pandemic, that uh, one of the main transmission mechanisms of it from an economic perspective was all of these bottlenecks and key supply chains and uh, massive demand and supply-side challenges. But so, so, what does this mean so, about industry? So, so the way to think about it is that there's a clear understanding of how that economy functions. Mm. So similar to SA, it's a predominantly consumer-based economy. Sure. So when the pandemic began and the economy needed to be shut down, it was quite clear that there are two transmission mechanisms. First, you're killing demand because mm. when you're sitting at home, maybe you'll order something online, but it's only delivered out of inventory because you can't buy it from across the sea. Okay? Mm. And then on the other side, supply is shut down because you're not allowing things from offshore. So when you're opening up the economy, you understand that you have to stimulate supply. So you have to stimulate companies' ability to make things, import them, and distribute them which is where the low interest rates and the quantitative easing came in. So it wasn't expensive for them to start producing again. And then on the consumption side, you made sure you paid people every month or every week as they do it there. 
mm. an amount of money to survive so that when these companies start producing, you've got money to spend, which means the oxygen is put back into the economy and things can start running. Economies live on liquidity. Sure. You, you can't... You, you can't shut it down and expect it to start itself up again. I mm. think the modern economy is premised on continuous running. Sure. So, so Roy, that, that's l- what let me put you on the spot here, there for a that, second. That, that, that the economy yeah. was supported, resuscitated on both ends. Sure. Let me put you on the spot there for a second. Two things yes. that you've said, uh, and I'm quite interested in the irrelevance for, for South Africa. Mm-hmm. One is that an economy functions and, you know, just like the air, an economy would breathe on liquidity. But then the first part you mentioned was the U.S. economy, like the South African economy, Mm -hmm. is a strong consumer-driven economy. So consumption drives the character and the nature of whatever growth is experienced then and Mm -hmm. and the nature of employment, I would assume. Um, When you think about the South African context, uh, do you get a sense that we've had a sort of a stop-start cycle in terms of liquidity, least of all at a household level? So people Mm -hmm. have been laid off. There's been the 350 rand grants that have been paid out. But... Some people might suggest that that's been done in fits and starts because, you know, three months here, maybe six months there, and then you stop, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and then you the, have... The big yeah. difference between South Africa and the U.S. is that the U.S. has the dollar. The dollar yeah. is effectively the denomination of global savings. Mm. So what the U.S. can do is it calls on global savings when it needs to. So at the time when its economy is buoyant, it exports the dollar. When it's not buoyant, it imports the dollar. Mm. So, so, that keep, so that means that they, they have this sovereignty that ensures that no matter how much debt they accumulate, the rest of the world will fund them because it's, almost, it's pretty much the, the, the most secure, if you want to put it that way, the most, the, 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 it's a consumer of last resort. Now, our problem with South Africa is we are very limited in terms of the amount of savings we have. That's the first thing. We don't have much capital either, but we are a consuming nation, which means we import a lot of the things that we do. And if the rest of the world doesn't want the stuff we produce, then we are unable to fund ourselves. Mm. So right now we're in a good position in that the world wants our platinum iron oil and coal. A year ago, the world wanted nothing. And for the Three or four years before that, um, we were in a position where we had borrowed a lot of money and it had all disappeared into interesting other things, which we will not speak about now. So the government was heavily indebted. And remember, we don't have savings. So we went into the crisis in a very difficult position of being overly indebted, having little taxable income, having no savings. Hmm. So, so in, when the government tried to stimulate the economy, the best it could do was 350 rand a month for a few people mm. because they didn't have the reserves to do it. I mean, I listened to a speech from in Singapore um, at, the time, at the time of the crisis, and one of the things they said was that the, the government there said that we must be proud of our predecessors because the policies they put in place created the savings that allow us today to put into place measures that make sure nobody suffers unduly. Mm, mm. We, we here didn't have that. We were already trying to solve problems. We were overly indebted. We had low tax revenue. GDP wasn't growing. Unemployment was already high. Um, investment was low. And now the government had to find a solution for all of this. Yeah. 
seems our headaches predated uh, COVID-19, but I think from what you're saying, Roy, it also foreclosed the the space for the kind of stimulus that would have been able to tide over uh, the South African economy. But but let's maybe shift our attention to something that I find rather alarming and and very tragic, uh, Roy. Mm -hmm. And this is that the government at multiple levels, national, provincial in particular, um, owe small and medium-sized enterprises to the tune of 3 billion rand and about 2 billion rand or so uh, comes from uh, the provincial administration in my home province of the Eastern Cape. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is probably not the kind of news you want to hear at a time when you know, uh, you have high enterprise destruction rates for small and, and medium-sized enterprises, mm-hmm. uh, but also these are the same enterprises that we expect the jobs to be coming from. So I'll, I'll give you a bit of a controversial point here. Uh, and that is, the, the, the biggest problem here is, first of all, the way government is structured in the sense that the provincial and municipal um, entities are not taxing authorities. Mm, so they get the money yeah, from national. That's, that's the way the constitution was put, put together for a variety of reasons. Then the second thing is the fact that all of these little businesses are trading with government. So this is the whole tender work. In, in reality, what you should have is a government that is an administrator and a private sector that trades with itself and incorporates small businesses. The, the reason why this has become an issue is that this, the, there's this whole concept that the government is the biggest consumer, so the way to promote black business is to give them preferential access to government business. So, so these businesses get set up in a way that they just satisfy what government is looking for. When in reality, the harder question is, are you competitive in a normal competitive, are you competitive in a normal society, in a normal, in a normal business environment? In which case, it would be the market forces that determine who succeeds and who fails. So all of these businesses um, trying to do business with the government, which is not taxing enough people, which has borrowed too much, end up having to wait in line. That's mm. the thing. So in reality, and I, and I really do not come across here sounding like a right-winger, in, in reality what you should have is a smaller, more efficient government that provides good services consistently in a predictable way and businesses that provide services to government as well as competing in the normal economy. That way you're able to manage from a competitive and market perspective, mm. who owes you and who you do business with. But you see, Roy, the, there's another, I guess, challenge to that, which yes. is, uh, and I definitely agree with you, I mean, I think the intergovernmental relations system and the division of nationally collected revenue, um, mm-hmm. you know, has many of its own challenges. Mm-hmm. But if you go to, to a province like the Eastern Cape, um, yeah. where two, over 2 billion rand is owed to some of these SMMEs, mm-hmm. outside of the urban centers, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, Buffalo City and Nelson Mandela Bay, where there is significant industrial activity, many of the other places in the interior are solely reliant on government as the main economic actor and government as the main employer right. in that space. So mm-hmm. you can't really blame an SMME for really no. only being able to no. do government, uh, government work. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like I said, government's the biggest spender. Mm. So in places like that, you almost have no choice. Yeah, yeah. That's the structure of the economy, and that's what's going to happen. But the overarching issue here is that there is not sufficient taxing and borrowing power, power to yeah. support all of this. No, I definitely agree. So, so it should rather be 
solid policies that encourage industrialization mm. that, uh, that, that, that takes in more employment, that sure. makes it attractive for people to employ others, private sector to employ people, um, create jobs, mm. um, and these businesses can all deal with each other outside of this sphere of government. Yeah. Government should yeah. just be consistent around electricity, water, roads, um, making sure people are not treated unfairly mm. so the criminal justice system works perfectly. If, if those things are in place, then it's easy for investors to come in, and those investors will look and see, ah, actually, there's a good, well-educated workforce here. Then we employ them, and we create goods and services that we can export, mm. which creates savings here. Okay. That's the most ideal oh, yeah, way, right. and the world is not perfect, and... Yeah. Um, and I'll be the first one to admit that, but I think if we just made certain steps to move in that direction, yeah. you'd see a big difference. But this reliance on government, it's, it's not going to take us anywhere. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we have to get the basics right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe I think where we might disagree is probably... Uh, what we think the role of the state should be at multiple Mm. levels. Uh, But I agree with the tax-raising issues and uh, some of the issues in our sort of devolution of power, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. What do you make, Roy, of this fronting issue? Uh, We've had BE now, you know, Mm. um, in in the formal sense, with uh, its own act for about 18 years or so, since around 2003 or so. Mm -hmm. And it seems fronting is as much of a headache as it was then. No, just remember, we, we live in society of human beings. Yes. Everything goes to its level. The concept of BE was about getting us Africans involved in an economy from which we were excluded. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely correct. You, you, you need to put your foot down and say, for things to progress, this is what has to happen. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. But then it becomes a human aspect. There are easy ways of doing things. People are easily corruptible. People find easy ways of doing things. And then also remember that for so long as you let bureaucrats set rules um, for business, not, not just business, for rules of activity in things that they've never been involved in, half these people who set these BE rules and all these rules of engagement, they're, just, they're politicians who've never been involved in the real world. They'll set rules that are actually impractical. Um, and, and, and how they solve problems is not by getting involved with the grassroots and actually finding out what's the, what, what is the best way of solving this. They think more regulation will solve it. That's the problem. What we've had with BEE is from, from an altruistic ideal concept. Mm. We've just had a lot of new, a lot of regulations on regulations on regulations. But, I mean, but I'll, give right. you, I'll give you an example. Yeah, yeah, okay, sure. So, so like we, we, we had this um, competition court ruling about um, Grand Parade. Yes, mm. exactly. Now, here one on one side, you're saying we're not going to let this merger happen because the new owners aren't black, but you forget that the old owners were black and they're allowed to make money and they're allowed to cash in on the investment and move mm, on to other things. But Roy, because, Roy, I mean, yes. think of it this way, right? Yeah. I, and, I, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. I think, you know, people should have the choice to liquidate an investment and they should also have a choice to sell it to whoever's going to give them the highest price for it. Mm-hmm. But you must remember that it's many of the target companies that were erstwhile white mm-hmm. that introduced this idea of a lock-in in the first instance because That's they wanted true. to lock in 
you know, people and have some black shareholding for a considerable amount of time to get their operational and social license to continue mm-hmm. with whatever operations that they have. So, so I, I'm interested also in your view of what you make of how not just government, which has mm-hmm. come with the legislation, has, mm-hmm. has interacted with BE, but also how industry, even oh, outside yeah. of the listed space, because make, I think... Make no yeah, mistake. Yeah. I'm not saying that industry has been correct mm. or been entirely honest. Fronting is a two-way thing. Fronting is taking advantage of people who don't know mm. or who have no choice. Sure. That exists, and it's a conscious thing that people do. That's why I said at the beginning, it's, it's human nature that when you put in regulation, there's something which I learned when I was in school, which said, what gets measured gets, what, what gets managed, what, what gets measured gets managed. If you're telling me that we need this number of black people who mm. own this percent, that's exactly what we're going to manage. In, in an altruistic society, you and I will want the best for everyone. Sure. We, we want, we want uh, our families to prosper. We want people to own more of the economy and we want unity and all those good things. Mm. But, but we, you and me are not everyone. So there's, there's an amount of regulation that's required, there's sure. an amount of goodwill that's required, but there's also an amount of market action that is required. Mm. Mm. And, and, and the more you try and regulate, the more people will find ways around it. And, and the more solutions you find, the more people will find ways of shortcuts. Yeah, and you end up creating a shadow industry. I mean, which absolutely, is what seen, no. Like, there's a complete yeah. shadow industry around <laughs> around all of this. Yeah. It's sad, but it's a reality. That that's exactly what happens. And and this is across the world. Mm. It's not that we have a concentration of badness here. This this is every time you try and regulate human activity to the nth degree, we'll find ways. Yeah, we'll sure. definitely find ways yeah. around it. Yeah. Roy, last one before I let you go. Uh, uh-huh. Some of your thoughts on uh, the story here. Um, and I found it quite interesting. I mean, Amazon mm-hmm. already has a considerable number of employees uh, in South Africa and in mm-hmm. Cape Town particularly, uh, f- you know, in their sort of cloud and uh, data hubs. Uh, and they were looking in a 70,000 meter squared piece of land not too far from uh, the Lisbeck River. Yes. Looking to set up their headquarters for the continent there. Mm-hmm. But that also happens to be a very historic site for the uh, Khoi and Sun uh, nations of that part mm-hmm. of the world, uh, even predating the arrival of Jan van Riebeck and uh, uh, I guess going back to the 16th century, uh, mm-hmm. where some of the you know, first battles with uh, the Portuguese unfolded. So, so this, this is a perfect example of a disconnect between the administration and its aspirations, mm. and the people and their aspirations. The administration thinks that all people want is for jobs to be created and things to happen, which is true. You, you want your children to be employed, and Amazon's a fantastic employer, mm. especially when, when it's IT and all of that. But you also want dignity, and you also want, as, as a community, you want to be recognized and to keep your culture and your norms and your history. And, and, and that's where a battle starts. The administration needs to first of all represent its people. And in representing its people, it needs to recognize all of these competing needs. And in recognizing these competing needs, it needs to, there definitely will always be trade-offs. Now, how are those trade-offs reached? It's a negotiation between the community and the administration and the incoming corporate who will employ people and 
and participate because Amazon doesn't want its name best. Amazon wants to be a good, uh, good corporate citizen. But what seems to have fallen apart here is the, is the communication between the community and the, and, and the administration, the people who run, the people they have elected to run um, effectively be the government representatives there. Um, it looks like there were all these meetings that they, that they had these discussions, but the administration, in their wisdom, decided that none of this was relevant. I mean, the thing is, at some stage, they have to put their foot down and, and decide how to go forward, but mm. it's, it's incredibly, incredibly important to take these sensitive issues to heart. Yeah. Because yeah. if you allow Amazon and all of this commercial development to come there and disrupt that community, mm. you're, you're actually creating a gulf between them and the people they choose to employ, exactly. which, which just destroys you right from the start. So, so I think it's administration and government needs to be very cognizant of mm. these nuances and these issues before coming with solutions which yeah. they think will help people, but in reality don't actually address where people want to be. They want their dignity, they want their yeah. culture, they want their history. And you know what concerns me here, Roy, is... Mm -hmm the missed opportunity for the government to come in as a convener and a mediator. Absolutely. Because there's two interests mm -hmm. that you need to balance here. Mm -hmm. We are interested as a country in getting investments in cloud and data services that mm -hmm. contribute to the competitiveness of our economy mm -hmm. in a context where digital transfers and information byways and highways are critical. Yes. Right. So, mm -hmm. of course, you want to attract the Africa headquarters of an Amazon to South Africa. Absolutely. But on the other hand, you also mm -hmm. want to balance, um, you know, people's uh, ambition to have mm -hmm. their sacred sites still deemed as cultural heritage sites that are sacred in a country yes. that has faced a historic injustice that I guess totally. has very few parallels across the world. Totally. So, so think about it this way. So Amazon were already here. They're already renting yes. a big premises and everything, and now what they wanted to do was go bigger. So they approach, they approach um, a developer and the government and say, listen, we're going to employ X number of people. We'd like a situation that allows us to be able to do this. Now, it is up to the government to look around and say, you know what? This is the area in most need. In, in, an, in, in this area with most need, there are these considerations which will complicate life for the community. Mm. It will affect the com community's dignity and also their aspirations. Where can we come in between? So you're absolutely right. That's how you need to think. Mm. You, 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 need, you need to bring Amazon in to a community that's willing to welcome them and feels that they're a partner in their development. Mm. You, you can't impose them because everyone loses. At the end of the day, everyone loses. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think... Yeah, these are the these are as much political as they are commercial and economic questions, I guess, Roy. And uh, that's that's why you yeah. and I sit and speak on the speak over the phone and on radio. <laughs> People far more qualified than us definitely. should be on the ground trying to solve these problems. Yeah, definitely, definitely, Roy Mutoni. Mm -hmm. As always, my brother, a pleasure catching up with you, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. Have awesome a good evening. Roy Motoni there speaking to us from APSA Asset Management, uh, where he is a portfolio manager and an analyst.